Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the HoopsHype podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Denver Nuggets beat writer Mike Singer of the Denver Post. He's joining me on the podcast today to discuss Nikola Jokic's max extension. We'll look at injury updates on Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., two key pieces to Denver's chances this season, and some of the other offseason moves that Denver made. Mike, it was good to see you out in Vegas at Summer League. How you been doing since, brother? Uh, I'm great. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, like I told you, I'm a Vegas big fan of your work from afar. Uh, and it was obviously great to meet you. So, um, you know, more than happy to, to get into this uh, offseason for the Nuggets. Likewise, brother. Look, I, I appreciate the kind words and, and for yourself. You know, when I think of beat writers around the NBA, you know, off the top of my head, they really stick out and, and do a great job covering their beat and their local team. You know, I think of you, I think of uh, some of my former colleagues at The Athletic, like John Krasinski, James Edwards, you know, Chris Kirshner. Um, You've always had a good pulse on what's going on in Denver. And that's definitely one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on, because uh, it's been a decently busy offseason for the Nuggets, you know. And, and, And the first thing I wanted to get into with you was the max extension for Nikola Jokic. I mean, a lot of people around the league obviously were expecting this to happen. Um, you know, Jokic, the back-to-back MVP, gets a five-year max extension from the Nuggets. It has a 15% trade kicker and a player option for the 2027-2028 season. Um, Mike, when you when you looked at that extension for the Nuggets, um, how seamless at all were the negotiations between both sides? And and long term, to to lock up Jokic in his prime, what what does it mean for the Denver Nuggets? Um, going forward for their future. The funny thing is, is that I saw Nuggets governor, Josh Kroenke in Vegas and I go up to him and I asked him that question. Um, and he goes, it's an honor, honestly. And when the owner governor, whatever we're calling them is eager to pay $270 million to a player, uh, you know, the negotiations were seamless. This was a, as, as, Easy of a negotiation as it gets. A two-time MVP in his prime. The reason why the Nuggets should be optimistic, are confident in their future, is because of Joker. They have him on one more year after going into this season, and then the extension kicks in. The reason it's important is because your anchor is set for years. I mean, this was the foundation for which every other move was made. All the other additions, that adding defensive guys, adding two-way guys, was with Joker in mind. You have him locked up. You are immediately a contender. I mean, they didn't have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. last year. And um, they were fighting for home court advantage up until the last week or two of the uh, of the regular season. So um, Nikola Jokic is, 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 is everything to this team. And, you know, can we talk about for a second how funny it is that there was no drama? 
This dude just signed up for five more years in Denver, ostensibly in a place where free agents don't want to come. And he didn't even bat an eyelash. There's no Kevin Durant trade request. There's no chatter about moving a guy like Donovan Mitchell with Utah Jazz. Like this was just, yep, their contract's there. I'm going to sign it. He even said it the night after they lost game five to the Golden State Warriors. He was asked about it and he said, yeah, if the offer's there, I'm going to sign it. Um, That is whatever the opposite of drama is. That is uh, Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets. And that's why they're so fortunate. I mean, people around the Nuggets were pinching themselves like, man, we are fortunate that we don't have to deal with some of the BS that other teams have to deal with. And that's a testament to who Joker is uh, and the relationships they've built uh, since he came over in 2015. Did you make anything at all about him getting a player option on the last year of his deal, if at all? I did it, but it is curious. It, I mean, it, it kind of goes uh, the exact opposite route of everything I just said. Like, you know, loyalty, um, like no drama, seamless. Like, like I don't even have to think about it. It is interesting. And I will be interested to ask him why that was important to him. And, you know, maybe uh, maybe he just wants to reevaluate, give himself. I mean, obviously, he had all, he had all the uh, leverage in the world, like, this was a, a deal and a contract that that the Nuggets badly wanted him to sign and he was going to sign it. So maybe he just got a little bit of a, a carrot there with the player option. Um, but I did find it a little funny. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what his reasoning was. And I wonder if that's Joker or if that's his agent saying, hey, we should probably just include this because we can get this. Not for any other reason, you know? I would agree with you. I think Jokic is pretty happy right now, riding on a horse somewhere and enjoying life. But I could see his agent uh, going the full length for that. And, you know, you, Mike, you mentioned about Jokic kind of carrying them on his back last year without Jamal Murray, without Michael Porter Jr. Um, Michael Porter Jr. for, for predominantly the, the the large portion of last season. Um when you look at the two of those guys coming back, let's start with Jamal Murray. I actually saw Jamal in, in Vegas at a New Balance event. Um, he looked good physically from from what I could tell. He looked like he was in good basketball shape. Um, from your synopsis being there on a day-to-day basis, what injury update, if at all, have you heard on Jamal Murray and, and what we can expect from him going into next season? Because obviously this guy is going to be uh, an important one-two punch with Jokic uh, for Denver if they're going to have any chances of trying to be the finals contender that they envisioned, uh, you know, starting a couple of years ago. Yeah, so what's funny is that uh, when they brought in their their draft picks and their summer league team, Jamal actually showed up to the gym in Denver and started playing uh, in, in five-on-five runs with the guys. And so we're obviously asking the coaches, how do they look? Or how, how does Jamal look? And last year, if you remember in April, the hesitation for him to return was not offensively. It was defensively. He was concerned about fighting around screens and getting dinged and, you know, diving for loose balls and, and kind of that that half second hesitancy that that might still be there as a result of, you know, that that ACL tear he had um, last April, two Aprils ago now. Um, but I asked all the coaches that and they said, you know, that's not there. The hesitancy in 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 making those kind of dirty work plays, the, the plays that he's not known for, but the plays that are inherent in basketball, um, the hesitancy's not there. And, and that's kind of the big difference. I mean, you got to remember when when he suits up, uh, when the Nuggets open up in October, it will be 18 months 
since he tore his ACL at Golden State, 18 months. That's a long recovery. So I, I really think, you know, he wasn't mentally there in terms of a return this past April, which, and then obviously that would have entailed a postseason run, which is a big ask for someone to come back from an ACL, um, ACL surgery and then jump into the postseason. So he will have a full training camp, a full off season. I've seen him throw down some pretty impressive dunks, um, you know, just in practice gyms and whatever. And he looks good. And I think it will be good for him mentally to have a full runway to, to get into this season uh, rather than being thrust into the, the throes of it, you know, like it, he would have been last playoff. So um, I think he's good. I think he's in a good mental place. Michael Malone talked about how he was going to ease him back in, meaning, you know, maybe something like 20, 25 minutes for the first few weeks and then ramp it up to 30 plus um, as he gets settled in. But I mean, the, the trade this that happened this this past um, offseason, they moved Monte Morris. That is a referendum on how confident they are in Jamal Murray returning. They're not moving Monte if Jamal Murray is not going to be able to provide them with 30 plus minutes a night in due time. So, I mean, we can get into it further, but that trade, a lot of gamble is on Bones Highland. Um, rookie last year really took some leaps and is an electric scorer. Uh, off that second unit, but a huge gamble and a huge referendum is on Jamal uh, and, and where he's at physically. And and Calvin Booth, acting GM, new GM Calvin Booth is not making that trade unless he believes that Jamal Murray uh, will be back um, at his physical peak. Well, you know, you you transitioned into the uh, the trade. I might as well pick up from there. Um, you know, to my understanding, Nikola Jokic was close with and very fond of Monte Morris, which was. One reason I was a little bit surprised he was traded since he's under control for the next two seasons um, at almost $19 million. Um, you know, Will Barton, uh, Mike, he Will Barton was in more rumors than a high schooler in the hallway for the past two years. Um, so so I wasn't surprised to see him move in the final year of his contract at, at $14.4 million. Um, you know, Ish Smith's been a solid backup NBA point guard over the years, but he's been a journeyman and he's in the final year of his deal. Um, I agree with you. The move signaled to me, uh, Bones Highland, the former second team all rookie guard, will have a chance for a bigger role with the Nuggets this season. Um, I'm told he's added six pounds of muscle so far this offseason. He's working out twice a day to get prepared uh, for a larger role. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Bones can bring. You touched on a great point about um, their confidence in, in Jamal Murray there. Um, you know, the other part of that is you get the Kentavious Caldwell Pope extension done. And, um, you know, in talking with Clutch Sports CEO Rich Paul, um, you know, he just told Hoops Hype, look, KCP was eligible for the extension and, and he loves the fit in Denver. Um, you know, Rich and Nuggets GM Calvin Booth, as you mentioned, uh, and the Cronky ownership group, they're all very close. So it made that deal happen uh, pretty quickly as well. So in that totality... When you look at that trade, you mentioned about Jamal Murray having uh, having confidence in him and how it could be a, uh, an opportunity for Bones Highland to get more minutes. Um, but when you look at KCP and what he can mean for this team um, and getting that extension done, what what are you expecting of him in terms of the fit with Denver this season and the fact that they gave him an extension right off the bat before he played a, a minute in a Nuggets uniform. 
Yeah, look, there's a lot of tentacles to this trade, um, and I'm just going to try to break them down piecemeal. First of all, uh, they had eyed KCP at the trade deadline. They wanted him, um, and we're discussing various scenarios that could have potentially landed him uh, in February. That ultimately didn't happen. Uh, offseason comes around. They revisit that deal, um, and it got out that the Wizards desperately needed a quote-unquote veteran point guard. That was Monte. Um You know, I think that there were other teams curious about Bowens Highland. Was Bowens Highland available? And, you know, the fact that the Wizards ended up going with Monte kind of speaks to their time, opting for Monte or asking for Monte uh, speaks to their timeline and and the timeline alongside Bradley Beal. You mentioned it. Yes, he's close with uh, Nikola Jokic, and they definitely had a shared kind of high IQ style that they they both knew innately where they would each be on the floor. And so that, that was definitely a very difficult decision for Calvin Booth. Um, but the way that Calvin Booth looked at it is I need to maximize this roster. And if I have Bowen Highland, who could ostensibly be my backup point guard, then I need to get off of Monte. And the idea with that was, you know, if, if Monte was a free agent right now, he could have commanded a lot more than than 9 million a year. He probably is worth 14 or 15. A, a year. So the, the idea is that they may have had to trade Monte inevitably over the next two years because, you know, Bones is coming and they weren't going to pay him, um, especially as they dive into the luxury tax. So a lot of moving parts there. The KCP, the, like that was a guy that they had targeted. They wanted a two-way guard with championship experience um, who would improve their perimeter defense. The way they looked at Will Barton, they were like, well, you know, he can get you scoring in isolation, doesn't really give you a lot defensively, um, is getting up there at age, has had a history of injuries. So who is a guy that we can bring in and immediately improve our defense? And that's Catavius Caldwell-Pope. Um, the way the Nuggets kind of looked looked at this trade, it was like the, the key piece for them was KCP. And for the Wizards component, the key piece for them was Monte Morris. So if you think about it like that, it was essentially KCP for Monte. And then the Nuggets needed to include Monte to get off of Will. And uh, the Nuggets needed a backup point guard if they're going to move Monte. So that's where Ish Smith came in. So that was kind of the thinking of that deal. Um, In KCP, man, like they have a spot up shooter. They have a guy who doesn't need the ball. He's going to be your starting two guard, improves defensively. And you just mentioned it, man. They just signed him to essentially a one plus one. So the potential he's in Denver for three years. Um, at minimum two years and you like they have locked in their core. That's all because they have Nicola around him. They know that they need shooting and defense. Those were the two priorities that they, that Calvin Booth knew he needed to address going into the summer. So in KCP, he adds shooting a guy who doesn't need the ball, unlike Will Barton to be effective um, and can improve the defense, take those, those, you know, dynamic, ones and twos that they were asking Aaron Gordon to guard last year. And he's frankly not, I mean, he's bigger than that. He's not really equipped to guard ones and twos. He's better for threes and fours. Um, so now you could take a little bit of defensive pressure off Aaron Gordon. You can sort of ease the burden defensively across the board. And that inevitably is going to help Joker um, because they were putting him in so many pick and rolls. He was just getting worn down and exhausted. And the more he can emphasize his offensive game, um, the better the nuggets are going to be. So, you know, Calvin Booth knew we needed to address the defense. KCP was the guy. Um, 
I, it's really interesting that they already signed into an extension without him playing, but that speaks to their level of confidence that, uh, that, you know, KCP is, is their dude. And if you remember, it's kind of the opposite of what happened with Jeremy Grant. They traded for Jeremy Grant. He had one year left on his deal and Grant kind of stunningly walked, goes to Detroit for the same amount of money. The fact that they get an early extension done, um, ensures that that's not going to happen with KCP. So, like this is their core. Like these, the their starting five, barring injury, will be together for the for the next two to three seasons. Um, and that's two really good chances of winning a championship. Um, which you talk to Calvin Booth, man, that is his sole goal. That's all he cares about is improving this roster to win a title a, a, as quickly as possible because he recognized how special Joker is. Um, and kind of the heights that he can carry them to. Two key words you touched on, barring injuries. Um, when I think of that, those words, I think of Michael Porter Jr. And I, I, you know, I remember at the draft, um, you know, when the Knicks were on the clock and they could have took him instead of Kevin Knox. I know he's had a lot of injuries since. Um, I thought that would have been a home run swing for them locally here. And I've always been a believer in, and, and I said the same thing with Joel Embiid when he was coming out. If a guy's got injury trouble, but he can be an elite player at that when he's on the court, you take the swing. So here we are with Michael Porter Jr. He misses last year. Um, for most of the last year, he's got a lot of back injuries still. Um, when you look at Michael Porter Jr. going into next season, one, how is he doing physically? Um, th- does Denver expect him back at 100% for start of training camp and going into the season? And you know, what, What quite frankly, are the expectations for him within Denver, given uh, the injuries he's had to go through in his career so far? Yeah, I mean, the Porter conversation is, it, it's fascinating, man. Like, look, they reached an early max extension with Michael Porter. They did not need to do that. And nine games into this year, he is effectively out. He ends up having back surgery and... So the, the the question I always raise is what would Michael Porter Jr. have commanded in restricted free agency? What would, would, would another team have thrown a max offer at him after a third back surgery, you know, and he's like 21, 22 years old. I don't think so. And so the nuggets had to make that, that is a fascinating decision or pivot point that we don't know a lot about. Um, and you know, it's funny because Tim Connolly is now in Minnesota and that that's kind of clearly didn't hamper him. It, it, you know, it didn't dog his reputation. So he, uh, he's on to Minnesota greener pastures. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I think Michael Porter ultimately ended up getting that early extension is because, uh, of, you know, ownership's affinity for him. They both like the Cronkies have heavy ties to Missouri, um, had a lot of love for Michael Porter and it was like, okay. Um, this is the dude who dropped to us at 14, an elite shooter, 6'10", 6'11", shooter, can rebound the heck out of the ball. Uh, what are the what are the pitfalls? What are the downsides? And so when you talk about the offseason and those priorities that I mentioned, uh, particularly defense, how can the Nuggets surround Michael Porter Jr. with plus defensive players? Can Bruce Brown help? Can KCP and AG help? Like, I'm not convinced that in their closing five in crunch time moments, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be on the floor. I'm not convinced. If he's cooking, for sure, he's going to be on 
And, you, you know, you ride with him as a floor spacer and again, a really good rebounder. Um, but if he's getting put on an island like he's got, like has happened in, in multiple playoff series, I'm not going to be shocked if, if they roll with KCP, AG and Bruce Brown at the two, three and four as a defensive, you know, triumvirate that's really, that's really tough to break down along with, you know, Buttress by Jamal and Nicola. So I, I'm curious whether we end up seeing that five, five-man unit at a certain point, potentially in the playoffs. As reporter, I talked to him at Summer League. He said he is feeling great. Um, I wouldn't expect him to say anything else. He hasn't, he's had a lot of time off, a lot of time to recover from his third back surgery. And there is just a lot, and I mean a lot, riding on his health. And, you know, you talk about the extensions, you talk about all the moves the Nuggets made. They're all contingent on Porter being healthy. Like, I don't necessarily know if the Nuggets, like clearly their ceiling is hindered if Porter is hurt. He is an elite scorer and one of the three tentpole foundation pieces of the Nuggets. And if he's not there, then you're asking it even more of Jamal and Nicola. So I think that really the Nuggets best shot is going to be in the next two seasons because he's already had his history of, of surgeries. And how many, like, do you really expect to go five years injury-free when you already have the track record of three surgeries um, before, you know, after three or four seasons in the NBA? Like, that's that's a tough pill to swallow. So, I mean, you know, underscore, highlight these next, these first two seasons. I mean, he hasn't even started his extension. It's It begins this year. So, you know, I don't, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. What is good value on that contract? Is it, is it three healthy seasons? Is it four healthy seasons? I, I really don't know what they expect, but I do know that these first two years are pivotal in trying to maximize uh, all the moves and justify all the money that they're going to pay, you know, these upcoming years. You know, Mike, when they did that contract, the first thing I thought of was, you know, you touched on them not being a major free agent destination. I felt like it was them taking care of their own. He was coming off a productive season and the hope was that he had, you know, turned the corner with his health. Um, that said, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like when the Knicks did an extension with Julius Randle. When you don't have to do it, um, I, I tend to want to wait just because what's the upside there? You know, you can right, always right. hold off. And, and anytime a guy's in a contract, you're, you're going to get the best out of them. I know some guys, you know, wilt under that pressure, but um, it certainly would have saved them a lot of money with Michael Porter Jr. Now, I do think, um, and also anytime you go into restricted free agency, we've seen it. A lot of guys, you know, Aiton got an offer sheet, DeAndre Aiton, good for him, but predominantly over the past two years, a guy's getting paid either through a sign-in trade or through his own team paying him. Um, you know, you look at the Colin Sexton situation right now, that's that's kind of dragging out a little bit here. Um, but, you know, you can't, uh, you know, unless you're Doc with the DeLorean, you can't go uh, back to the future. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, for Conley, um, you know, I guess we'll start with, with Conley there um, as far as the remaining topics. But, you know, when Tim Connolly uh, left and you mentioned about him going to to Minnesota, um, how it wasn't a blemish uh, that that stopped him from going there. You know, I looked at it as uh, Tim Connolly maximized the draft and he helped Denver build a sustainable playoff team for years to come. But unfortunately, the injuries to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. have hurt them over the years. Um, you know, Murray's extension doesn't look too bad. He's got another couple of years left at 
a reasonable salary. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is the one where you question, um, given his continued injury troubles. But um, I, I think given the context of what Conley had to work with there, um, I, I guess you would call Denver a, a small market. But, you know, in terms of getting free agents, I think he maximized it. I'm kind of curious, in your opinion, how does Calvin Booth take that and go forward with that now? Because now, you know, he's been under Tim for a lot of years and now he gets his shot. Um, how do you foresee him tinkering with the roster if at all going forward to be that championship team that he wants them to be? Yeah, I'm going to take a glass half full approach. I'll tell you, people around the Nuggets were just dumbfounded and stunned um, when Tim left. It was like a weird, awkward transition. Um, you know, I reported he he was not like looking to leave. All he wanted was an extension here. And, and, and that and just to kind of see this through, he helped build this team into a quasi contender. Um, why, who wouldn't want to see that through? Uh, you know, money talks. The extension, or the offer comes from Minnesota. He jumps at it. Um, the Nuggets opt not to match. And, and that inevitably leaves Calvin in the hot seat. And, you know, Calvin has said um, he never expected to be, you know, stewarding or guiding a, a team of this caliber for his first head job. He expected to be for it to be a rebuilding job. So he's had to make some ruthless calculating uh, decisions already. I mean, I reported as soon as that thing happened, as soon as that transition happened, Calvin intended to be aggressive. First thing he does is he moves to Michael Green, um, you know, expiring $8.2 million salary that they didn't get a ton from last year. And they have a lot of depth at uh, power forward, at reserve power forward. So he, he makes that move. Then he finally gets off of Will Barton, who you said um, has been rumored more than uh so, I don't know, high schools and hallways, something along those lines. So um, he finally gets off that. I mean, everybody knew Tim Connolly was close with Will Barton. He viewed him as a as a really productive two-way player. So sometimes in, in these instances, it helps to have a fresh set of eyes and a fresh set of eyes that has teeth behind it. You know what I'm saying? That can make those decisions. So um, was the Monte Morris trade extremely difficult for them to make? Yes. Did Calvin think he was optimizing the roster and, and eliminating redundancy? Yes, he did. So, you know, when, when he's kind of looking at this as a bottom line thing. Tim is known for his relationships and, you know, and fostering a really like promising and encouraging culture that builds everybody up and lifts everybody up. Um, from what I know about Calvin, a, he's an excellent, excellent talent evaluator. Multiple people, both with the Nuggets and outside of the Nuggets, have told me that. Um, and then as a, as a team builder, he's a guy who, who I, I know this for a fact, he's looked at the history of champions and he said, what, what is the recipe that those teams use to win? Almost exclusively, those teams are elite defensive teams built around offensive fire hoses. So how can you, you know, kind of that dual balance? And they have Joker and they have Jamal. You're probably going to have Michael Porter, assuming he can stay healthy. How can you help balance that and, and, and infuse that defense, uh, the defensive identity that, for instance, teams like Boston and Golden State had um, this past June? So that was that was his ethos. That was his mantra. And he's done it. And so, you know, I give Calvin credit for 
not having, you know, those for basically just being ruthless. I mean, that's a word that that Josh Kroenke used to describe Calvin Booth in his uh, postseason press conference is that Calvin Booth is ruthless and he has faith in him to execute and, you know, to, to bottom line, improve the roster. And it's tough to argue that he hasn't done that. Granted, we have to see it out on the floor and how everything meshes, but he has a plan. He has a trajectory and, a, and an architect and a design, and he's followed through with that um, in adding all those defensive pieces that we mentioned. So, you know, in terms of talent evaluation, we can assess how Christian Brown, how Peyton Watson, who was a project at UCLA, end up panning out. But I can tell you there's a lot of confidence in Calvin um, in the way that he operates in his relationships. I mean, it helps to play in the league um, for 10 years like he did and see it from a different perspective. That's something Tim Connolly can't say. Um, and Cal's been around the block, man, and he just needed an opportunity. So I, I, there's a sense that they didn't skip a beat, um, that maybe Tim helped foster a self-sustaining factory of just, you know, really re- like, you know, storyboarding ideas, discussing free agents, discussing trades. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's Cal's call now. Um, and like I said, I think there's a lot of faith in, in Calvin Booth to kind of steward these next few years of the Nicole Yokajera. I wonder if, if they would have described Calvin Booth as ruthless as a player, but um, as an executive now, I think, you know, it's it's a different step for him. You know, you mentioned Conley's deal. Um I mean, it's kind of crazy to think it feels like uh, a little bit of an eternity ago, given free agency, given trade rumors for, you know, Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Kyrie Irving, et cetera. Um, But, you know, Tim Connolly, ironically, got, I think he and Bradley Beal got like two of the best deals um, (laughs) this offseason. Like, I was joking at Summer League, um, you know, with the Bradley Beal deal, if, if Mark Bartlestein got him an ownership stake in the uh, Washington Capitals as well. I mean, my goodness. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I'm i looking at it. Conley, like he got a little bit of ownership stake there. And I think like if they win X amount of games in the regular season, like, you know, stock up for him. So good work from Conley and his represent, representation there as well. Yeah. I mean, look, the funny thing is, is Tim didn't have an agent. Uh, prior to this uh, ordeal is what I'm going to call it. He didn't have one. He he negotiated for himself and that may have ultimately hurt him in the long run. It, it, if his ultimate designs were staying in Denver, that may have hurt Tim. Um, but it didn't happen. Minnesota offers him life-changing money, five years, 40 million, the ownership stake that you mentioned. Um, again, had the Nuggets come up in some capacity or shown him love earlier because he, he was... It, heading into a contract year this summer, um, I think Tim would have stayed like what that number is, uh, you know, maybe, maybe five or 6 million, probably closer to six. And had the Nuggets gotten there, uh, I think that he would have been eager to stay. Um, That doesn't happen. And he ends up going, uh, he ends up going to Minnesota. And and again, the, the, the incredible thing is that within weeks of taking that job, he makes the move for Rudy Gobert. And, to me, that deal was indicative of an ownership group that had emboldened its new president of basketball operations. Like, is Tim? did Tim Connolly want to make that move in Denver? Did he want to make a landscape-altering trade for, uh, you know, X amount of picks or move a Michael Porter Jr. for another star player? Like, did he want to do that and was he hampered? I don't know that. I, I really, I have no idea. But you go to Minnesota and within weeks, 
you're doing that. That is an ownership group that has a lot of faith and has given you a lot of runway. And contrast that now with a, a guy who's in a lame duck year, um, as Connolly was, and you know you don't have a lot of negotiating leverage um, when, when you're, you know, in your final year with the Nuggets. So you go to Minnesota and, you know, you go all in. And so I know that everyone hotly debated, um, you know, whether they gave up too many picks uh, for Rudy, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't, I, I don't, I do not think that they did. Tim, Tim went in and he said, we have a core, we're going to go for it. Did he have Nikola Jokic in mind when he traded for Rudy Gobert? Interesting question. Uh, not, you know, who's to say, but we're probably going to see a a Denver, Minnesota series in the not too distant future. Um, and that is going to be juicy. Um, I hope hope, Hoopside makes it out for that one. (laughs) I think certainly, you know, when it comes to Tim in that scenario that, um, there was probably a little bit, you know, anytime a new ownership group takes over, there's a little bit more of an urgency to win in the immediate future. I think that was definitely evident there. I mean, look, when I talked to five, uh, at least five executives at um, Vegas Summer League, they thought um, Minnesota overpaid a little bit to to get Rudy Gobert. At the same time, I mean, that's what you're going to have to do to to get a player of that caliber. But, you know, going back to Denver, they made a couple more moves that uh, we'll touch on with, with Bruce Brown and uh, DeAndre Jordan. So, Mike, you, you've got Bruce Brown, who shot a career-high 40.4% from three-point range last season. And it's the second time in recent years the Nuggets have signed a former Nets player since Jeff Green. You know, I, I don't know if it's a, a fetish for, for Denver, but, you know, here we are. Um, then they go out and they get another former Net, uh, DeAndre Jordan. Now, if you talk to any executive or scout that's watched him several times over the past few seasons, uh, DeAndre Jordan, he looks cooked. So I was a little, I'm sorry, but like, you know, and usually I preface that with like a, you know, as all Italians. Yeah. Yeah. We throw caveats and qualifiers. Like, like all Italians before they say something like that will be like, you know, all due respect, no offense. Um, But I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, you know, you saw it even at the end uh, in Philly last year. I wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, Bruce Brown, I get. And, and quite frankly, I, I think the Nets are going to miss him. But I was curious, DeAndre Jordan, like for both those signings, what what is Denver envision for Bruce Brown? But really in particular, I was very curious that like, I, Mike, I could be wrong, but I think DeAndre Jordan was the first guy to agree to a deal in free agency. I would not have had that um, on my bingo card if I was in Vegas. Um, and I'd love to know what the odds were on that uh, for him to be the first signing of uh, or agreed to deal in, in free agency. Yeah, it's funny. I was sitting on that. I, I, I knew it was happening. We published story two minutes after free agency starts. It's like that was their guy. And so the only thing I can say to to potentially justify DeAndre, I got a couple of things. First of all, he's on a minimum deal. He's one year. So it's not particularly expensive. Um, you can always pivot. You can, I mean, big, you know, the reserve bigs are always available, buyout market, trade deadline. Like if it's a giant sore spot, um, it can be addressed. The last few years have been a rotating door of 
big men just cycling through Denver and they have not been able to find one that was content with the role. Mason Plumlee ends up leaving Denver. He was a really good backup big because his role wasn't big enough. Why wasn't his role big enough? Well, you're backing up the best player, best big man in the NBA. So it's a, it's an uneasy kind of balance there. Um, they had Isaiah Hartenstein uh, ends up going to the Knicks this, this summer of free agency. I think two for 16. Like they had Isaiah Hardenstein and Michael Malone didn't play Isaiah Hardenstein. Um, he was their backup big and he he could pass for a big man and, and kind of play a similar style to Nikola Jokic. They had JaVale McGee. They traded for JaVale McGee and uh, didn't play him. That's JaVale McGee. He just signed uh, uh, three for 20, three for 20 in Dallas, I believe, somewhere yeah, along three, those lines. Three for 17, actually, but yeah. Okay. All right, three for 17. But my point is they had a viable backup big and they could never find somebody who was content with the role. My assumption is that DeAndre Jordan is okay not playing certain nights, and which was a thing that JaVale McGee was not cool with. It was a thing that Jamichael Green was not cool with. And I have to believe Jeff Green is not would not be thrilled about sitting certain nights. So, um, and last year they entered the year, you know, trying to play with a not realistic backup five in, in Jamichael and Jeff Porter's injury throws that all through, you know, the, the haywire. So, and then they end up signing DeMarcus Cousins, who was a productive center. Um, but we know his reputation. We, we, behind the scenes, I do think there was some friction and there was the belief was, would there be calm waters throughout an entire season? Is if there is, if we believe there will be, then we'll bring him back. But if there won't, then we need to go address this hole. So my point is that this rotating door of not being able to find somebody content with the role, there's probably not that many people volunteering for this. On the flip side, you have Jeff Green, who knows DeAndre, vouches for DeAndre, and thinks he's a good locker room presence who can hold guys accountable. Um, You notice how I've left the uh, basketball playing portion of this uh, assessment till the very end. Um. All the other things, he checked the boxes. So there is a belief that maybe he has more something left in the tank. Maybe he can help spell Nicola on certain nights. Um, and, you know, and, and, and as a guy who they they vetted, they called a lot of people on him. They said, is this the guy that we want to bring in? Is he engaged? Does he want to win? And they also believe that their locker room is less chaotic and dramatic than what DeAndre has been accustomed to the last couple of years, which is a fair point. Um, I would also say maybe wishful thinking, but, um, you know, to each their own, believe in your locker room, et cetera. And, and maybe you can get the last, you know, few minutes out of, out of DeAndre Jordan, the last productive few minutes and see what you have. Um, I think that they felt comfortable with who he was and believed there was enough left to take a swing. Uh, why that made him the 601, uh, very first signing of free agency uh, we're going to have to ask Calvin Booth that one, but um, that was their decision, man. I hope you do. Um, I hope you do ask him that because I, I, I'm just fascinated. I mean, look, Calvin's been a big guy in the league for a number of years. Um, I will defer judgment to DeAndre on him for that, obviously, as a guy that's been a veteran backup big, but I'm just sharing what, you know, any executive or scout I've spoken to that's for sure. There was skepticism. You know, yeah. I mean, I, Lord knows NBA Twitter, um, you know, was cooking the sky, roasting the sky like a Thanksgiving turkey. Um, but nonetheless, Mike, 
thanks again for coming on, brother. I appreciate your uh, in-depth analysis and insight on this team. This is exactly why I wanted to bring you on, and I'm glad we got to um, connect down in Vegas, man. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Denver this season if they can be that quasi contender that you touched on, if they can stay healthy, and if if they can take that step and and your coverage of the team along the way. I love it, man. Thanks for having me on. Good to connect. Um, And I'm sure we'll be talking soon in the future. Absolutely, Mike. And I I also want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Mike Singer of the Denver Post, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Mike, too. He's at M. Singer. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.